Alvarex gasps as she steps back from the loom. She had heard through her ravens that there had been rumblings from over in the Pendle Run about a congregation where, speak of a scaly beholder of Tiamat had been released. She had scoffed at this, along with the idea that two iterations of the lich known as a Sererac had been brought into the plane. But the loom only showed things that were pertinent to the story of Cordelia. She did not input the threads of choice. She reacted to the gurgling and scraping of the wheels and mechanisms when they called and allowed the machine to continue along its path, feeding the overflowing tapestry out into the cool night air and into the fabric of reality itself. Her initial response was the idea to try backwards engineering the Fred's origin to see if there was a, already a counteracting hero arc to this obvious villain. However, on the one and only time she had done this, there had been an almighty catastrophe in response from the universe. The result of this event were the sea levels sank and the hot pot, a hill giant settlement to the north, got sent back a good few centuries and the Bracken Guard had to be sent out to Glayfair to subdue and correct the chronomatic inaccuracy. There is too much at stake not to check she thought to herself, as she bent down under the main display of the machine. She spotted the issue immediately. There appeared to be a small crow's skull lodged against a spool which gently nudged every few seconds as if it tried to pull the thread through. She reached in gently and removed the obstruction and was knocked back prone by the sudden flash of information released in explosive tableaus in her mind. A small settlement in the base of a volcano in the Pendle Run. A Morkoff controlling slaves of his settlement to meld animal and free folk spirits into one being. The Morkoff joining a group of formidable looking associates. The Beholder and the Girl. A blurring humanoid figure that looked like a dwarf and a goliath at the same time and a slim red-skinned tiefling in dark leathers with pistols on his hips and a goat's skull mask. All of them poring over scrolls and maps with one large image in the centre of it all, a dismembered left hand with an eyeball in its palm. Intense dread filled every fibre of Alvarex's being. For the next few nights she did not sleep did not eat. Every time she closed her eyes, a rotting, mildew-ridden skull plagued the darkness behind her eyelids. One sunken, bloodshot eye stared back at her through the dank hollows of the skull. A vicious, blood-freezing laugh would whisper behind her memories. Whilst she kept away, the loom continued to work its way through the recent additions that had previously been missing in the overall history. On another plane of existence entirely, Another dreamer lay in fragile space between fantasy and waking. 
He stands on the porch of their cottage in the deep confines of the forest. A warm breeze calls through the surrounding pines. The smell of freshly baked cake from inside battling the smoky wood smell of the garden's bonfire. He feels at peace. A voice calls out from behind him, beckoning him. As he retreats into the cottage, he finds her standing in the kitchen with a pleasant smile and a dagger carving into her latest experiment. She is slightly shorter than him, with seaweed green eyes and pixie hair in a walnut brown. Her simple skirt and woolen slacks belie the musculature underneath, and the clunk of wood against wood punctuates her right leg meeting the floor below. He steps over and whispers his sweet nothings into her ear. She grins and reaches up to peck him on the cheek, pushing him softly on the chest in mock disapproval. And with the unexpected momentum of much harder push, he's flung backwards, as if hit by an explosion. The air knocked out of his lungs. The ability to react moved from the briefest of moments. As his senses are returned to him, the warmth of the kitchen is replaced by sweltering heat of lava streams and stale air. He is now in another familiar place, but this one fills him with dread. Ahead of him, on a jutting, rocky outcropping over a boiling pot of magna below, is an anvil with a bone-white greatsword jutting out of the centre. It looks to be buried deep into the metal, as the blade is up to its fuller, and the handle sits waiting for a hand. The hilt of the blade, as well as the handle itself, is wrapped in a maroon leather and carved to portray a small pile of skulls at the base of the blade. It too calls out to him, begging for his hand, almost as if it's watched over his shoulder. He sees himself step forth and pull the blade from the anvil. And then the goat's skull comes screaming up from below the outcropping and the scorching pain of a lava-soaked mask slamming into his face knocked him unconscious. Only then did he wake up, drenched with sweat. He is a tiefling, red-skinned, of a deep bloodshade. He wears dark leathers, both armour and overcoat. These have both been customised for his tail to poke through and for his unique weaponry tastes to be strapped in close reach. His black hair is streaked with greys, both from age and stress, and his face is obscured by the goat skull melded to his face. He lies on a stone slab with straw and woollen sheets, and candlelight allows his eyes to adjust back to the dim light of his surroundings. You're awake, I see. Same nightmare again. 
The tiefling turns to the voice in alarm, but his hands stay from any weapon. He recognises Rasnik's nasally scratch of a voice. Sitting before him in a rocking chair, working needle and thread into a sheet of fabric, is a goblin with pale yellow skin, sagging like a bloodhound's features. Rasnik has been a good friend of his for a long while, and they are always good for gossip and odd jobs. Oh, sorry, your reverence. I am aware you don't have nightmares. You're simply someone else's. <laughs> the goblin chuckles and places the embroidery down on the table next to him. They then get up and head to the hearth to get the kettle warmed. I don't remember how I got here. Well, that'll be the plane shift sickness. You never, you've never been good with it. Shame you couldn't have a, a chosen a better line of employ. <laughs> like I had a choice. The goblin stoops and starts to work tea leaves into a small metal cage that they then drop into the gently whistling kettle. Nobody forced you into picking the stupid blade up, and even if you were, you were more than aware of people that could stop you from having to do its bidding. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. He scratches his head and allows memory to wash over him whilst Raznik finishes the tea. He had been hired to collect an anonymous benefactor's sword that had been stolen by a disgruntled rival. How was he to know that the blade in question was the Orcus sword, that the unknown benefactor was Orcus himself, or that the rival was the Raven Queen? When payment for his stupidity, he had been branded a champion of the Blood Lord. His revolvers that hung on his hips, now imbued with hellish fires, the evocation specialism he had worked for all his life before this mission, now turned to that of necromancy without concern of his want or care. You are to face Bellavor at dusk. The dueling ring has been set over morning whilst you've recovered. Fuck. So I'm still exiled then. What do you expect after your harebrained scheme to team up with the cult of the Pale Knight trying to create a ninth school of magic? All the time you got tied up with the cult of the Dragon Queen trying to bring about the second war between dragons and giants. You pissed the undead prince off more than the Raven Queen herself of late. He sent me out into the world to build his following. Just because those actions were in the names of other cults, the influence was the name of Orcus. Even my moniker, Brother Tenebrous, how more on the nose does he want? It's less working in the name of others, it's more that your failure then gets attributed to him and not the cult you interloped with. People question why Orcus wanted a night school of magic in the first place, or why he'd even want Tiamat breaking the Ordning. Have you ever thought about tackling the Raven Queen or some sort of death god just to widen Orcus's domain? Tenebus throws his hands out in exasperation before gesturing to the goat's skull. You're more than welcome to take this and do your perfect schemes if you think you can do better. 
No? Oh, wait. It's all to do with my tiefling bloodline. This is my heritage. Resnick laughs and bats him away with his spare hand. The two of them catch up over tea, Tenebris explaining how his latest scheme is intended to increase Orcus's following. He talks of this new plane of existence he found on his travels, where the plane has people that reside there who are familiar with the larger pantheon of Faerun, but the lesser deities are hardly spoke of. Raznak is pleased to hear their old friend has been prospering in their exile. But soon enough, the sun starts to set over the dead trees and obsidian mountain range out the window. The duo make their way to the trial pit with a nervous silence hanging between them. The terrain is sickly and black, like walking through a forest that has been covered in ash and oil. Everything drips with necromatic energy. The skeletal creatures that make the forest their home are the stuff of nightmares. Ahead, the obsidian mountain range that holds the undead prince's fortress. As a champion of Orcus, Tenebris has proven himself time and time again to be a superior fighter and an arcanist. This meant that whoever had been set as the Demon Lord's fighter for this trial would be formidable to the very end. A crowd has already formed in the makeshift amphitheatre, a seating that encloses the large rocky battlefield below. The field appears to be the length, of, length and width of a football field. But rather than luscious grass and goals either end, the ground is uneven and littered with boulders and cairns of obsidian. Sitting overlooking the scene on his throne at the far end, the huge Balor-turned deity that is Orcus. His skin is blood-red like Tenebris's, his frame like a human hippo, the beer belly and thick appendages actually slabs of muscle. His wings have turned from powerful demonic ones to torn and decaying frames. In his left hand he holds the bulbous top of the Wand of Orcus a tree trunk of a wand ornate with skulls and bone, looking more like a walking stick in its current position. Like his champion, Orcus's face is obscured by a large ram's skull. As Tenebris reaches the edge of the test field, Orcus slams his wand onto the stone ground and silence falls over the crowd. Brother Tenebris... My champion in the realms of Freethok. You return to Thanatos in direct violation of my ruling that you were exiled from the realm. Why? Master, I return with promise of a world for your taking. The crowds jeer and boo as if some satanic pantomime is taking place. This, as we are already aware, is not the first time the tiefling has tried this act. Orcus slams his wand once more, and the audience cower in response. Once more you bring me the chance to take faith from the free folk. 
Once more I am reminded of how you have failed me previously. What more you think this time will be different? This new plane only has fledgling pantheon. They have not experienced the wash of inferior deities that stand against you. Their strongest gods are the equivalent of ancient dragons. They are ripe for the plucking, my lord. Orcus takes a moment to brood on this. The new approach of mentioning the gains rather than the method of extraction seeming to work in Tenebris's favour. And what do you intend to do to bring this world to my name? And now the hard part, Tenebris thought himself. I have been working with a small crew of like-minded mercenaries in the acquisition of the Hand and the Eye of Vecna. A wash of shock, that pantomime theme driving home all the more. Their leader seems to be wanton on the idea of pulling the Whispering One into the world and allowing him to wreak havoc. However, we are both aware of the fact that the old One-Eye is only interested in ruling Faerun and smiting the vampire Cass. I suggest we appear to aid this council as they are referring to themselves and help guide them to the Whispering One's summoning. When the Lich appears, we will probably be all the better to take his distractions of wanting to rule the day and massacre everyone around. You intend for the Arch-Lich to kill me, Worm? Not at all, my lord. I suggest that if they succeed and Vecna goes on his tirade, our soul catchers are on hand to aid the death to the afterlife. If he is not summoned, the council will be left weakened by the ritual. What better time for your superior power to assert its dominance as the true Dreadlord? Even with the mask, Tenebrous can see the smirk crawling across his master's face. All well and good, but you are still to pay for your crime of breaking the conditions of your exile. If you survive the trial, I will go with you to the council. If you die, not worth the breath, my lord. Send your champion and let's be done with it. He can see that Orcus is enraged by his cutting in, but with the upcoming trial he does not care. The snarl that is barely released before he clears his throat and stands is all that is needed to know that if Tenebris survives this, he'll be on borrowed time moving forward. Orcus raises a hand and takes a more formal stance. Brother Tenebris. You have failed me time and time again. The last chance you will get is now. If you die, you die. If you survive, you'll be assisted 
with another of my children. Your performance will decide whether your mask is removed and your soul is forfeit. I feel I have a most fitting trial with your current plan. Prepare. As he raises the huge wand into the air and a small black whirling ball of energy opens in front of him, this moment of panic fills the stadium. It hangs in the air further out above the end of the field and it doesn't take long before the ball starts to expand, leaving a void in the fabric of time like some sort of black hole. For those that can see into the disc growing in the air, there's a weird paradox that wells up inside them. To the eye, it looks like a jet black sky with tiny pinpricks of light, as if the stars are trying not to blink out of existence. And with this comes the terrifying existential dread that seemed to be amplified by the struggle of these stars. Fear seemed to be taking physical form right before them. Out of the hole it came. Like a spider, its spindly fingers found purchase on the edges of the tear and slowly it pulls itself through. With power and purpose, a twenty-foot being of negative energy drops to the ground its head mockingly in the shape of some sort of demonic ram's skull. The distortion of the material plane burns against its form, if that's the best phrase for it. Nightmare of Thanatos. Meet the Nightwalker. Begin. Before the sound has even had chance to echo around the surrounding walls, Tenebrous leaps to take cover behind a boulder. Mid-leap, he pulls his revolvers and lets loose two bullets that scream across the field and try to make a connection with the monster's frame. Only one hits. As the first of the two bullets scorches past, and the second slams into the, the centre of the chest of this weird negative energy monster. The entire excitement is welling up inside of Tenebrous's soul. Not sure if this is more of an excitement that he's being tested, or if this may be the first challenge he's actually had to work for. creature seems to take little to no notice as the bullet sinks into its form. The smoky afterburn of its body reacting to the material plane around it is enhanced even further as it swallows the smoking bullet as if a candle wick being swallowed by the overflowing wax. Now is the creature's turn. The football field, length battlefield, is nothing 
but a breeze for the monster as it f- jumps into the air and swoops across towards the boulder it saw its target hiding behind. Coming down in a graceful glide, it lands on its hooves and starts to slowly but surely work its way towards the boulder. Tenebrous can hear the feet slamming on the work around him. He starts to panic as he realises that this may not be as easy as he thought as he entered the trial pit. The creature just comes over the top of the boulder. Immediately, there is a moment of panic as someone who has never had to suffer fear starts to feel the crawling of dread in the back of his mind. The creature reaches out with a clawed tentacle and swipes towards Tenebris. What seemed like a slow, purposeful swing shortly becomes scythe-like precision scraping across his throat and chest. The creature takes no care for the items on his person. The surrounding people seeing their champion slaughtered Deftly it swings through with necrotic abandon, slicing into his very being and blood oozing from every slice. Tenebrous panics even more. He doesn't know what to do. This is not how fights normally go. He backs up against the boulder, takes the two revolvers in hand and aims up. He holds his breath, focusing his energy and his precision into one bullet each. The first bullet scrapes across the side of one gnarly horn. It seems to do little to no damage yet again. The creature pays no attention to anything but the beating heart inside of its enemy. The second shot, however, slams directly into the jugular, or at least where a living creature would have one, and a spurt of black mass flies out and across the field behind the creature, burning the rock and ash behind him. Where there would be normally just a singed, scorched earth, there is now another form of black hole. This creature seems to be not only burning the matter around it, but actual existence. However, it stays its ground. Tenebrous, knowing that this shot would normally put down a large rhino, contemplates where the next bullet will be placed. He immediately starts to drink of any potion he could find in his pocket. 
as he starts to drink, expecting for the cool energy of health that he normally feels from such a potion. He can feel icy cold water rather than the potion. He takes the cup back away from his mouth, trying to see what is changed about his potion and sees that now rather than the red viscous potion that would normally be in his vial he sees black oozing sickness he coughs and splutters out blood he has no idea what's going on he panics and in that moment of panic he blinks out of existence appearing a few feet away from the creature giving him a momentary escape with his arcane abilities the creature turns once again raising one finger and somehow grinning with no mouth once again Tenebrous feels his heart stop. It's like the hand reaching out towards him has actually got a grasp around his aorta and is squeezing as hard as it can. He drops to his knees in pain and takes a moment of panic. starts to feel his life flash before his eyes. He can feel a strong sense of his life force dripping away as if two thirds have been removed in the short few seconds that this combat started from. He sees his first lesson in Arcane. His old teacher, the name now forgotten, sitting on a pile of books overlooking a class of five or six young souls hoping to become the next Mordenkainen. He looks around and sees people that he will grow to love. Time flashes forwards. He sees his beloved, an agile rogue of a woman, swathed in roguish blacks and daggers and pain, and most surprisingly, with a some sort of blade for a leg. The next he sees is the retirement of both adventurers. Interrupted immediately by a raven asking for an adventurer who can go and collect a sword that has been left under Mount hotter now. All of this and more flashes before his eyes as he panics and panics and panics. The boon of Orcus is meant to stop him from ever feeling fear, from ever worrying about his decisions. It gave a cool and calculating moment in his being and now it is snuffed out. With a turn, he looks towards his superior, his lord, grinning through that white bone mask, and hatred riles up inside him. He places his hands 
on the ground in front of him. Guns left askew and helps himself up. The hands palm out facing the creature. He focuses his energy into the largest fireball he can summon. He's aware that Orcus's boon means that every form of magic he has ever known has always been tainted by the necrotic overlord. What comes from his hand is the first sign of a different magic he has seen in centuries. The fireball swallows the creature whole. creature steps through the fire unharmed and unfazed the hatred and the panic becomes desperation with another glance of time it's like a blink before the creature has stepped from where it was to right in front of him and swoops again both swoops clawing into his being There is a moment where he blinks too long. His heart stops, but not for the squeeze of this creature's pain. But for a moment, his body gives up. He's unaware of what happens next, but awakes to another slice across his face. And for the first time in millennia, or at least it feels like it. The skin on his face feels cool air as the mask is removed 